Welcome listeners. I'm Suzanne Feeney, a pharmacist at CE Impact. We are thrilled to partner with Dr. Wall each week to produce this podcast. We hope you'll continue to listen in every Tuesday. Episodes always drop by 5 a.m. And pharmacists, you can earn up to 26 hours of CE a year just by listening in every Tuesday. Today's podcast episode is supported by an educational grant from Zelia Pharmaceuticals, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on providing important anti-infective treatments against serious and often life-threatening infections. Game Changers creates awareness of trends, laws, pharmacotherapy, and medical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy. Let's listen in to today's episode. Hello, and welcome once again to another edition of Game Changers, uh, and with your host, Jeff Wall, me, how you doing? Um, I am a, a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, and I appreciate you uh, listening uh, to the podcast, whether it's your first time or you've been a regular listener, uh, welcome, and uh, uh, hope you uh, like what you hear and hope you stick around. Our, our goal here is always to uh, give you, in a very rapid uh, uh, fashion, some information in your medical practice, whether you be a pharmacist, physician, anybody else, uh, that, that you can you know, really take to the bank and, and, and use immediately in your practice or answer some questions your patients may have, stuff along those lines. So uh, again, welcome to, to, to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Uh, if you uh, uh, do like us, please head over to wherever you listen to your podcast and, and hit that like button and subscribe to us. And uh, uh, also, uh, I always want to thank our uh, our sponsor, CE Impact. And again, remember that, that you know, you want to get CE for this program and, and a lot of other great programs that CE Impact has. Head on over to their website uh, and, and, and uh, Check them out, and that uh, yeah, you'll find a, a wide variety of, of CE for pharmacists that, that really kind of fit the bill for whatever you're doing, and including getting a reward for listening to my voice for the next 20 minutes. So, uh, so today uh, uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna take a look at, at at something for the hospital pharmacists. I think we've been we've we've not that we've we've focused initially all on community-based pharmacists. I, mean, I think we've done a lot of different stuff, and we've certainly talked about COVID, but but uh, something that that I thought was worth discussing at this point because there's been a few changes, hence the name of our uh, our. Our, uh, title of our podcast today, um, if you're a David Bowie fan, um, is uh, talking about the new vancomycin guidelines as well as a new formulation of vancomycin uh, that's come out on the market pretty recently, and I thought it was probably worth kind of talking about both of them. Uh, certainly, uh, 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 for those hospital pharmacists who, who, and again, I think almost every hospital pharmacist now is probably involved with dosing vancomycin in patients, had probably were either heavily involved in their hospital or going to be heavily involved in their hospital in uh, implementing the new guidelines uh, for for vancomycin use in uh, in patients. And remember, this is these are all from guidelines that it's a revised consensus statement of uh, three organizations. Uh, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, the IDSA Infectious Disease Society of America, and the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society, as well as the Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists. So I guess five instead of four. Um, and it's basically just a revision of their original guidelines in 2009, focusing mostly on, on dosing. So again, we're, we're not going to really talk a lot about using vancomycin or you know what it's good for or anything along those lines. Again, I think most hospital pharmacists are pretty aware of that. Uh, we're going to focus on, on uh, what the guidelines and say and how it is going to mean a huge difference in in how we dose vancomycin uh, in patients, and so when the when the 2009 guidelines came out, um, you know there was a number of big changes. I think, and, and in an attempt to kind of standardize practice, because again, I've been a pharmacist for 30 years, I've been dosing vancomycin my entire career, and people were kind of all over the place for with you know, do we do peaks, do we do troughs, do we do both, do we even get levels? Or I had heard some hospital pharmacists tell me, you know, back in the early 2000s and 1990s, they didn't even check levels. They just put everybody on one gram, you know, BID of vanco, and kind of see saw what happened. And so, you know, when the 2009 
guidelines came out, I think it was an attempt to kind of to kind of stratify and 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 basically say, you know, look, here's kind of the standard we all should be shooting for. This standard is evidence based because it's looking at at um, uh, the PKPD data we have and also the clinical trial data we have, looking at the best way to dose vancomycin. And um, it was the first guideline to target a a trough of 15 to 20. Again, in many cases, we were shooting for lower troughs, uh, often sometimes even as low as five to 10 in some patients. And so, you know, they they noted that as well. They also talked about loading doses, which is something that some places did and some places didn't do and, and things along those lines. So so what's happened since 2009, since these guidelines come out is is that we kind of, I think the, the authors of the original guideline kind of realized with new data coming out that the way we were, they had recommended dosing vancomycin was probably not the best way. And in fact, uh, what they had found was that the, the, the dosing uh, with the trough of 15 to 20, especially when you're utilizing weight-based dosing based on actual body weight, was leading to uh, increased reports of nephrotoxicity with vancomycin. And so, and certainly I've seen that, uh, especially in, in, in morbidly obese patients who we start on vancomycin, that we would, you know, totally hammer them with, with, with sky-high doses of vanco. And inevitably, their troughs would just start to go up and up and up. And if we were unlucky, so uh, so would their creatinine start to go up and up and up. And of course, we we made things worse in a lot of patients by concomitantly giving them zosin. And we now know, you know, pretty pretty uh, with pretty good assurity that that zosin does potentiate uh, in some cases the nephrotoxicity of, of of vancomycin. So you know, it, it, there was there was all that coming out, and and it, it was worth noting. And I think the guy the authors of the new set of guidelines mentioned that the reason they had recommended a serum trough of 15 to 20 was because they were using it as a surrogate marker for what had been shown at, even at the time to be probably the best way to dose vancomycin from a safety and efficacy perspective. And that was trying to uh, uh, figure out the 24-hour AUC to MIC uh, ratio. The problem is, uh, if and I hate to I hate to bring back uh, terrible memories and, and, and trigger nightmares in those of you who, who you know barely made it through uh, 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 clinical kinetics going, oh God, I, I, I don't ever want to hear about this AUC stuff again. Well, I mean, you know, what they had found, of course, was was uh, and and in particular, uh, an investigator named Jerome Shintag, who was one of the gods of pharmacokinetics uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, his lab and other labs had really found that that really to to, to maximize, especially against Staph aureus, uh, uh, the killing power of vancomycin, uh, that you needed to hit this AUCMIC ratio of over 400, and and that and that's what was recommended as as the primary PKPD predictor of vancomycin activity. But uh, to do AUC dosing in patients, you have to get multiple doses over multiple time periods, and that's just not going to be feasible in in 99% of hospitals. So they use this trough of 15 to 20 as a, as as a, as a surrogate marker. Well, since those guidelines have come out, there have been some investigations about you know can we do AUC estimate dosing, um, but not necessarily have to draw 15 levels in patients every hour to get the AUC. And the answer is is yes, technology is kind of to the rescue here. And and we now know that 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 uh, several studies have now suggested that that you can uh, approximate very closely what you would get from true AUC calculations uh, by using Bayesian kinetics and and getting one or two time point levels and then and then basically punching that into a computer that does Bayesian kinetics and that will give you a uh, your your estimate of an AUC of over 400. And so the guidelines basically say that 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 you know that's that's a, uh, uh, actually the 
preferred way to do that. Now, smaller hospitals in particular uh, may 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 find this difficult because, of course, that means you're going to have to buy the software. Uh, I know there's several uh, vendors who are selling the software, and the software is updated and stuff like that, and that could be pretty pricey. And so they do say that that if if you don't want to do or can't do uh, the Bayesian kinetic uh, using computer software to do so, that you can kind of go back, you know, kind of back to the future and do you know kind of old-fashioned peaks and troughs, and that will also, if you utilize peaks and troughs, uh, you you will also uh, be able to to use calculations to to to, to accurately mimic the AUC-MIC ratio and stuff like that. So, so uh, the 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 Bayesian uh, drive AUC monitoring again is the preferred monitoring, and I know m- many large hospitals have just kind of bit the bullet and 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 went ahead and bought and bought the uh, the software and basically distributed the software to all, you know all their member hospitals and things like that. Um, I also know smaller hospitals and even not so small hospitals. Uh, at, my, at my hospital, we have we have determined that we will not actually buy the the, the software and that we'll actually go ahead and just use two times steady state serumicomycin concentrations and first order equations to basically estimate the AUC. And, and again, uh, the, 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 the major advantage of doing the latter, of course, is that it is simpler, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, you can actually bust out a calculator and do it yourself, or even, I mean, frankly, you know, uh, there's many uh, uh, free online calculators that will let you do that. The strike, of course, is that it's probably not quite as accurate as the Bayesian approach. It's also only a snapshot, whereas the Bayesian approach uh, looks at, 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 at time points over time and uses population parameters to help kind of estimate or model the AUC. So, I mean, there's going to be some differences. And, and again, I'm, you know, I think every hospital is going to have to come, come to the conclusion of, of, of which one they're going to do. Now, many hospitals have already made this change. Many hospitals have already have, have, had, had implemented uh, the, the training that was going to be necessary to do this for their pharmacists, uh, whether they were going with the Bayesian approach or the, or the, the, uh, the, the peak trough approach. Uh, I'll be honest, we at, at my large hospital, we had were in the middle of getting ready for this, and then a fun little thing called COVID happened, and and that all kind of went to the wayside. And so we've deferred at this point from making you know huge changes in into our in our vancomycin. And and I've I've also heard other hospitals that have said you know we were kind of ready to get this off the ground, and, and have really decided that maybe that's that's that that's not that's not the the, the way to go. So um, you know I, I suspect that if you, if your hospital hasn't already done this, it will be doing it you know sooner or later, and probably sooner if you. Uh, 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 lucky enough to be in a hospital where they have they have purchased the software, I think this is going to be actually pretty easy for you. You're literally just going to have to. Uh, learn the software, and I can't imagine it being very difficult. Uh, you'll you'll get one to two timed doses, and doesn't even have to be at steady state. That's the other nice thing about about Bayesian uh, kinetics is that you don't need steady state concentrations because it, it uses population modeling, um, and literally just punch those numbers into the computer, and it will give you the AUC as well as your as well as the dose that you're looking for. So, uh, I think the, the yours your job will probably be a little bit simpler if you're fortunate enough to work at a hospital where they do that. If you're going to be at a hospital where they were going to forego that, it's going to be kind of be back to the future. And 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 uh, I think rather than sit down and, and try and find your old, old kinetics notes that you probably threw away the second the, the exam was over. And, and I say that having taught pharmacokinetics at Drake for, for, for many years, uh, I know I know I knew from day one walking into the in, in into a, a new class that 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 most students were not, you know, waiting with bated breath to learn everything they could about pharmacokinetics. Um, and so I totally understood that and tried my best to make it at least semi-entertaining. Um, 
um, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to require, you know, going back and learning first order kinetics again and, and learning the equations for, you know, uh, volume of distribution, learning the equations for, for, uh, clearance and things along those lines and kind of walking through how to do that. When I first got to Methodist, you know, 20 years ago, we had actually developed a, a, a amino glycide and Banco protocol. Like, you know, again, this was back before the guidelines had come out in 2009, they kind of just walked through and doing that. Um, I'm sure that, that, uh, um, uh, yeah, um, you will be able to find either in your notes or online or anything along those lines, uh, the, 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 the kind of approach to do that, I think. And then like anything else in pharmacy, it's going to be practice. It's, it's, it's going to, you know, practice doing this and then practice making the doses, dose adjustments and things along those lines. Now, one of the things that, that both sets of dosing assumes is that, that, uh, that, uh, this is against, uh, MRSA infections. And so one of the things the guidelines are, are very clear about in, in the beginning of the guidelines is, is that this is not designed to be necessarily for for non MRSA or uh, infections. So if you had enterococcus or you had you know some patient who was truly severely allergic to penicillin and had to use vancomycin, I can't think of too many examples of that. You know, but had to be on vancomycin. You know, that's it, it, these guidelines wouldn't necessarily apply to that. My guess is everyone will will use these dosing strategies for that. But but it, again, they they point out that this is really targeted towards serious MRSA infections, primarily bacteremias, and it also assumes that that the MIC of uh, or the minimum inhibitory concentration of uh, of MRSA two vanco is going to be one, and that's something that is as in the world of infectious diseases that has always that has had significant controversy around it over the last 15, 20 years, um, because unfortunately uh, you will often get a culture and sensitivity report that reads the vancomycin MIC to an MRSA isolate is two, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a really you know, resistant organism. Um, we we now know that 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 if you look at, at Large population, uh, uh, you know, big groups of MRSA isolates that they've looked at. That it is actually exceedingly rare in the United States to have uh, 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 an isolate of MRSA that is is that has a super high uh, uh, um, MIC two vanco, which I'm very grateful for. And that the, uh, the ones that are higher, um, uh, that your 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 local culture and sensitivity that might be reading it is higher. Is it's literally just it's it's an error. So you know, uh, it, like uh, many of the of the standards standard uh testing systems to use, they will, there will be at least a one-tube dilution error uh, between uh, what it really is and what the computer reads out. Even doing uh, epsilometer testing, which we, we've done here for, for certain infections, so e-testing where you really do figure out the exact MIC of the organism, even that will overcall the MIC of, of, uh, of MRSA to Banco. So the other caveat they put in their, in their guidelines is that, is that the assumption is, and, it, and it's a good assumption, and I think you, unless you ha are dealing with uh, uh, you know, patients that you know for a fact have have uh, much higher, even maybe even you know, uh, VRSA type infections, which again are, are pretty rare in the United States. Um, that you'll assume the MIC is one, and so again, the Bayesian kinetic uh, programs you'll be using will, will will automatically have that as part. And when you're doing your own peak and trough calculations, either with a calculator and a piece of paper, or you know, an online calculator and ask what the MIC is going to be, it, the the assumption for all these guidelines is, is is that it's going to be one, and 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 that certainly makes sense. So then, you know, what what does this all kind of mean then? You know, you know, for the pharmacist, you know, why are we going to do all these changes? It's because we, you know, it isn't just 
PKPD modeling, we actually do have uh, clinical studies that suggest that dosing uh, uh, using the this kind of utilization, particularly Bayesian utilization, is associated with with less total dose exposure. And and retrospective studies have suggested that it, that it's less likely to cause acute kidney injury. So you know we're not doing this just for fun. We're not doing this um, um, just you know just you know to, to make things harder for pharmacists or whatever. You know that you know again there there is data suggesting that at a minimum uh, using AUC target dosing, uh, either using Bayesian software in particular or PKPD analysis is, is, is more likely to be associated with, with safety. And there was even a, a, um, a study, a randomized control study uh, that was uh, done in, I think, Iran, I know, or, or Saudi Arabia, it might have been Saudi Arabia, that actually sh uh, suggested that it improves a cure, that, that you were more likely to get a cure of MRSA infections using peak trough concentrations as opposed to only, only tr uh, just the trough shooting for 15 to 20. So again, you know, uh, uh, this isn't a capricious recommendation by by these these authors. Uh, there is solid evidence suggesting that that you know dosing by AUC MIC is kind of the way to go. And yes, it's going to be kind of a pain to learn, but you know, I think I think as hospital pharmacists, you know, it's it's one more thing we get to learn. And you know, as an, as kind of an old man who's kind of you know you know wandered through hospital pharmacies for most of my career, you know, there's always something new to learn, right? And 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 I think as pharmacists, we need to kind of take this challenge and say, you know, we've got the technology so that, you know, you're not sitting down unless you really want to, you're not literally sitting down and taking a half an hour to figure all this stuff out that, you know, that, that, that technology can really help us do this. But I think it's important for pharmacists as always, you know, you can't just punch and crunch the numbers. You really kind of need to understand why are we doing the things we're doing. And as always, you know, uh, especially, and I, I know most hospital pharmacists can, can give examples of this. It's, it, you know, these, all these um, programs, whether it's the Bayesian program or whether it's your own homegrown or whether you're going to do in P, P and T calculations, you know, or peak and trough calculations, it, it's always garbage in, garbage out, right? If, if, if you get a level that was erroneously drawn, if you get a level that was uh, the wrong time and they didn't time it correctly or didn't label it correctly, uh, your numbers are going to be off, right? And, and so, you know, that's something that I think pharmacists all over the place and in hospital settings have to, have to kind of deal with, you know, we have to kind of make the you know assumptions and sometimes we have to do a little digging to figure out exactly you know when was the dose hung when was it you know when was it over you know uh it's etc you know when was the lab drawn etc etc and those are all things that are going to are going to improve the accuracy of, of how we do this so you know bottom line is that is that you know we know that that compared to the to previous recommendations of dosing that 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 uh, uh, this way of dosing patients is 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 more likely to be safe and effective uh they do mention very quickly that that loading doses are, are still reasonable to do um, and and uh, they do say that it's still based on on on, on actual body weight but uh, but to a maximum of three grams and that's kind of what the old guidelines said as, as well um, and then and then they also mentioned that 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 again this this way of dosing is probably way to go they do note in the guidelines that there's still a lot of questions out there you know uh, you know what about dosing in, in children and in neonates what about uh, patients with renal replacement therapies uh, those are all still very very challenging patients um, you know certainly uh, dialysis patients are always challenging to do as, as, as we all know and and so you know there's there's going to be some changes in, in some ways we approach that sort of thing as well 
but uh, but uh, the bottom line is 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 that uh, how we dose vancomycin for most patients is going to change. So that's something to, to think about as 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 your hospital pharmacist. The other thing to think about um, very quickly is that there is uh, some some uh, new formulations of vancomycin, and again, these aren't aren't formulations that are likely to to completely change the world or anything along those lines. But um, there's been a couple of companies that have been working on on uh, basically making uh, vancomycin less uh, burdensome to 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 uh, have in the hospital. So there's a couple of companies out there who are uh, particularly, I think uh, there's a company called Zelia who has a has a premix bag now for sepsis. And and again, I you know that I'm I'm sure it's it's going to you know probably a little bit more expensive than you mixing it yourself. But the advantage is is that the premix bag is 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 going to come in standardized doses. That it's got a, a long shelf life, so it'll actually be able to store it in automated dispensing cabinets. And so the pharmacy won't need to get to IV admixture and compound it. Um, and uh, uh, that will probably, you know, help nurses get the drug. It'll, it'll decrease pharmacist time and tech time to make the medication. And again, because of, of the a longer uh, stability uh, at room temperature, you know, there's less likely to be waste as well. Again, I'm not trying to do a commercial for these guys, but, you know, because I, I have no doubt that they'll be more pricey, but that there is, that is coming out now. And, and, and there's probably more of these uh, different formulations of intravenous vancomycin that, that are coming out. So it'll be interesting to see how, how all those kind of play a role. And of course, every director of pharmacy is going to have to, at some point, take a step back and say, you know, is, is getting this stuff, even though the acquisition cost is more expensive, is that going to be worth it down the line as far as, far as workflow and things like that? So, so that's vancomycin. It ain't going anywhere. Drug's been around for over 60 years, and we're still going to use it as, as a workhorse agent, I think, for MRSA infections and for other types of infections. And uh, despite uh, its problems, I think uh, we're learning more about it every day and learning more about the better ways to dose it. And like like you, as a hospital pharmacist, I'm going to sit back down and figure out how to do peaks and troughs again. So we'll wrap up in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So hopefully this uh, didn't bore the non-hospital pharmacists out there. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, vancomycin, uh, the change of how we do vancomycin is going to fundamentally change how most hospital pharmacists work. And so this is, these are pretty important guidelines for, for, for community or for institutional pharmacists like myself in particular. Um, but I, but there's a, a good reason for doing it. And I think this is, is it shouldn't be too difficult to, to, to kind of learn the, the ropes and do this and kind of get away from just doing the 15 to 20 trough. And I think our patients are going to benefit certainly, and and uh, and and certainly it's it's a safer and potentially more effective way to do things. So that's it for this week of uh, game changers. Uh, again, I uh, we will we'll do something a little more general. I'm sure next time you hear my voice, I'm hoping anyway. So so hopefully I didn't turn off all the community pharmacists again. If you like this podcast, please head over to uh, where you like your podcast and and subscribe, like us, all that kind of stuff. Spread the word. Let all your uh, pharmacists and and physicians and prescriber friends know all about this, and and please keep listening to us. We'll catch you next time and. Remember, uh, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.